Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston sits down for a conversation with a couple of Heartlight's teens. For the past two decades, Heartlight has become the country's premier residential counseling center and boarding school for struggling teens. Founded in 1998 by Mark Gregston and his wife Jan, Heartlight is a program that not only modifies behavior, but one that seeks to offer a unique transformative journey through a relational experience that offers counseling, small group therapy, academics, and activities. We hope you find encouragement as you listen to these stories today. Aiden, thanks for being a part of the program today. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you end up at Heartlight? Um, well, originally I had some, some trouble with some drug addiction problems uh, going into high school. You think everybody does? You th- I mean, if you had to look at the percentage of school people that are doing drugs or something, where would you put that percentage? Honestly, I think a huge portion of kids these days use marijuana. Yeah. Just as like recreational, Yeah. you know, but I mean... I guess pills are getting more popular, like prescription pills and everything. Okay, what about where you live? I'm from a small town where there's not much to do, yeah. and one of the bordering cities is heavy like drugs and everything, where yeah. you basically drive down the street and buy you know, cocaine, whatever you want. Yeah. Okay, so when did things start to spin out for you? Originally... I spent most of my school years in like band, like marching band. I played yeah, yeah. brass instruments and... The kids who I looked up to were my brother's friends. Yeah. And so these kids I looked up to were like the best band members also. Yeah, They're yeah, great yeah. musicians. I looked up to these guys. They went on to high school, and then I was like the top dog in middle school. But then whenever I went up to high school, I was like the freshman. And those other kids who I looked up to before were already into like just marijuana and everything like that. And so... Wait they, a minute. So band doesn't keep you out of everything? No, not at all, no. <laughs> I mean, people used to think that, well, no, it's not the athletic guys, it's not the band guys. Keep people busy and everybody will be okay, but I'm going, it's not that way anymore. It's not. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. There's going to be enough time to... Do something yeah. else. Yeah. It doesn't take much time to go sneak behind this corner and like yeah. smoke. Yeah. So was it when you got into high school that everything started? Yeah, I would say so because I was about 14 years old and I had never knew realistically what weed was or what i was familiar with like meth because of like how terrifying it is yeah, yeah, and like everything yeah. like that but yeah just the way like the dare officer put it was like if you smoke weed you're this is what your lungs look like they're pitch black and you're gonna yeah. die or whatever yeah. and go to prison so i had like this really outlandish view of it but then compared to what other people were telling me yeah like these guys that i loved and i looked up to they're like dude it's a plant you know it's natural Nothing really happens like that. And so right off the bat, I viewed it as okay because... Okay, do you think you had problems beforehand and then the pot and all that stuff just kind of mask, you know, the real issues? Or did problems start when you started smoking and doing other drugs? I think my whole life I had kind of a problem with low self-esteem. I didn't like how I looked really, like my appearance. I was so like small and scrawny. I've gained about 50 pounds since I've been here now. 
just from working out. I never lifted a weight before I came here, but so I was just small and weird and doing stupid things to fit in. So the drug thing just kind of fit into that, right? Yeah, it was like something where I felt that's where my role was as as the kind of outcast of the class was to just smoke. And I wanted people to actually view me as, oh, there's that guy that smokes so much and stuff like, because I had looked up to people in the media these days, like rappers. I'm a big fan of hip hop. And so whenever I see people in the media, like, like literally tattoos of pot leaves, like on their faces, then that's like, that's my icon who I look up as well. So cool, so rebellious. Like, I want to be like that. Wow. Okay, so when you look back on that, what goes to your mind when you look back on that time when you were thinking all that? Um, now, that's the misconception is that drugs equal respect and fun and yeah. stuff like that, where, yeah. oh, the more weed you smoke, like, the more street cred that is. But in reality, I mean, well, what I struggle with is not necessarily marijuana because I had moved on yeah. to like K2 or yeah. like synthetic weed. Yeah. It's pretty powerful stuff. It is. And it's very bad for you. I had like internal damage from it. Just like the inside of my body was basically wow. just failing me. And I just want people to know that drugs is not just a party. That's just fun forever. Like eventually it's going to come back and bite you. You're not going to be able to get up off the couch because you're going to be like so weak and yeah, yeah. destroyed. Okay, so where was your realization where you started going, wait a minute, I can't be doing this? Well, um, I had a lot of experiences and like involvement using what most teens call it is acid, but I guess the legal term would be research chemicals, Yeah, where it's, I guess, m- closely relatable to like PCP yeah, yeah. or LSD in some forms. But So I had a lot of experience with that, and it started off as just kind of it was overwhelming. It takes over your brain, but it's like yeah. something that I could actually manage at first. So I felt powerful by being able to take these drugs and get away with risky things. But so at first it was a huge rush, like insane amount of just adrenaline and almost joy. It's wow. like an artificial sense of joy. But that started to turn on me. Like the further and further I got into it, it was like the more empty I began to feel yeah, yeah, because yeah. I wanted this for myself, but it was like pointless. It was wow. just... Wow. So it started to really turn on me and like the hallucinations and everything were just turning evil and it's like I was my life was a nightmare. Wow. And so what what clicked? Well, one night I had a very like spiritual experience with it where oh. it was not the drugs, it was God like reaching out to me and showing himself to me. And that's what I believe to this day that that was God and it was like scales coming off my eyes just like biblical things were oh. actually happening to me like my oh. eyes were open but at this time, I did not have like the strength to wow. get away from those things. Even God revealing himself to me was not a strong enough force to pull me away and say, okay, I'm done with these research yeah, chemicals. Yeah. I'm done yeah. with this K2 because I was still dependent on that. Yeah. And so that's where I needed to get away physically and come to a different place. And, you know, we started doing research and everything. And so, so you say we started doing research. I mean, did you ever sit down and talk with them and say, hey, I got a problem? Yes, multiple times. I mean, um, I was not willing to admit I had a problem for years because I didn't think I did. I was like, yeah, I could quit whenever I want. I just don't want to. But yeah, towards the end, whenever I started having like these haunting experiences overnight, you know, just the whole stress of lying to my parents and being in places that I wasn't supposed to be, 
that would like really enhance the fear that I had. Yeah. That was like induced by the drugs. So it was just all these things. You think that push you more into drugs to get rid of that fear that you were living in almost a paranoia? It goes both ways, yes, yeah. because the paranoia was caused by those drugs. Yeah. And that was a thing of like, dude, I'm never doing this again. Wow. I'm so terrified right now. Never doing this again. How many times did you say, I'm not doing this again, before you really quit doing it again? Probably more times than I could count because <laughs> I like end up forgetting those times. But yeah. at least three huge times come to mind yeah. where I was like, dude, I'm never doing this again. I was like on the merge of a heart attack because of how scared I was. Wow. And wow. I even got abusive with one of my friends who was like basically babysitting me wow. where while he was asleep, he was... I was feeling threatened by a sleeping person. Like, I was very paranoid. Kind of messed up a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so you come to Heartlight. Was that the answer to everything mystical and magical and spiritual in the world? <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. I mean... Really? Aside from drug addiction, my second problem is my spirituality. Yeah. Because coming here, I say I was more of an atheist. Yeah. I went through a big like anti-God phase because I lost a family member of mine. My cousin passed away from leukemia at wow. a young age. Wow. And so that pretty much rocked my world. Whenever she died, I lost that sense of yeah. value in life because yeah. like, well, if God's willing to take away this child's life in a, in a heartbeat, then what's like the real value in life? If yeah. people just yeah. die here and there and nothing truly happens about it, they're just gone. From then on, I was just really mad about God, and I said, at first it was like, God's not real. These people yeah, are stupid. Christians right. are stupid if they think that this is happening because there's so much happening in the world. And so I said, I hate Christians. I'm going to be the opposite. And if there is a God, I don't love him. I want to go against him. Yeah. And so I went through a phase of just kind of Satanism. Wow. Um, I would look at YouTube videos and read and like I would pray to like the devil like legitimately and it was satisfying at the time because of how angry I was yeah. at God. Yeah. And then whenever I started doing more intense drugs, I started thinking that well the universe, you know, is like infinite and so there's no real God out there. It's just a chance that we're here, which yeah. is I mean it's realistic, but it's just impossible yeah yeah so um it wasn't until pretty recently maybe a month or two that i actually came to my senses and just just pretty much got on my knees in my in my room and i was just like jesus i'm sorry like wow ever since then i've just been reading the bible praying everything and now i would say that i'm a christian cool in my own little way and well, that's a big way. Yeah, I mean, a big I, I, way. I mean, you've come to it. You've come to it in a very real way. Yeah. Okay, so if there's parents out there that have a child like you, you know, that of what you were going through from seventh grade on up, you know, dealing with insecurity and now drugs, and you know, I mean, what, what could your parents have done different that would have been a help to you? Well, I think one of the hardest things that parents struggle with is just. The whole thing of where, like, it takes one to know one. Like, you, yeah. I've been down this road where if my child one day, I see them straying the way that I did, I can actually talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Like, I know right. exactly what their thought process is and what they're going through. 
you need to understand how confused these children are yeah, yeah. and like how lost because of like the mixed messages we get through society. So I would just say, take a more talkative approach and right, understanding right. because what my parents used to do is we're taking your phone for a week. Next time it'll be two weeks. And I was like, so I think, um, spending more time talking. Yeah. And I know that could be hard because yeah. your, your kid's going to be mad and they're not going to want to admit that they yeah. can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I would say don't push religion on your children. I think that they need to come to it by themselves yeah. because Nothing. At some point, you teach them, and then then you let them come to that point yeah. of, of realizing what's really going on. Yeah, I feel like there's nothing that can truly keep you away from going back to drugs than just loving God and mm-hmm. wanting to please Him. I believe that's the purpose of human existence, and like your life is to make God smile, and just the way that I you do that, that is I just. Love that. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the meaning of life is to please God because He made you for His pleasure. Wow. And like if you live for yourself, your own pleasure, then like you're becoming your own God and that's a sin in itself. Wow. Wow. Well, I tell you what, Aiden, you've made God smile as we record this. I mean, that's a pretty cool story. And um, I appreciate you sharing it. Thanks for having me on. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. It'd be good. I mean, now you're going to be famous and stuff. I hope so. Yeah. This is like (laughs) my little taste of Hollywood right here. Okay. Cool, man. Thank you so much. No problem. Nobody cares more about their teen than moms, but even moms can get discouraged and distracted when watching their teen go through those difficult adolescent years. You can feel alone and helpless, unable to know how to encourage your teen. It can get hard to trust God's goodness in the midst of such hard times. Mark Gregston knows the feeling. That's why he wrote Prayers for My Teen. It's a book of prayers and devotionals to help moms keep their eyes on God and their hearts uplifted even when your teen is struggling. Prayers for My Teen is a great addition to your purse, bedside, glove compartment, or desk drawer as a simple way of reminding you of God's faithfulness to you and love for your family. Get your copy of Prayers for My Teen at parentingteenresources.org. Mandy, thanks for being on the program. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm 15. I love the country. Like, love the country like the U.S. of A. Or no, I love like being in the country. Like living setting. in the country. Why is that? Because like that's where I grew up, and when I was like young, and so like I could just go outside and play. And and you grew up here in Texas. Well, until when I was um, in fourth grade, I moved to here. Oh, okay. And where'd you come from? Arkansas. Oh, well. Well, welcome to God's country <laughs> down in Texas. No, I'm joking a little bit. But but tell me a little bit. I mean, when did things change for you at home? I mean, it, it things were going well, but then something turned. When did that start to happen? To be honest, by the time I moved to Texas. Yeah. So like in fourth or fifth grade? Yeah, it got really bad when I got to middle school. Like what? Like, when you say it got really bad, what was bad? It was just, like, my family. Like, me and my parents' relationships weren't the best. Like, it really got bad in seventh grade because, like, I was doing stuff that I wasn't supposed to be doing, like, dangerous stuff. And, like, I ran from my home 
in seventh grade. Yes. Sir. And where did where does somebody in seventh grade run to? Well, I was like I was planning on not coming back, but I was just running around my neighborhood, and um, my parents like saw me running, and so that's when they figured that like I had left. But I was just like around my neighborhood, like doing what? I stayed at one of my friends' house for a little bit, and yeah. then like I um, ran to this person's house, and that's when like they convinced me to like go back home and like call um, the police, and like they brought me back to my home, and it was like mm. really mm. hard. Okay, I, I mean, and, and so what was the hardness of? Of being at home. Why was it so hard to be at home? It was just like, I th- because I didn't know how to communicate with my parents. And like my parents didn't, I don't think they like knew how to communicate with me. And so it was just like, I just felt like miserable at home. Yeah. And. I mean, were they bad people? I mean, I mean, you love your parents, don't you? Yes. And they love you. Mm-hmm. So what, what was the, what was the rub that caused all that? When you look back on it now. What was it that was kind of causing it to spin out of control a little bit? Well, in the summer of seventh grade, I did, um, I started sexting people that I didn't know. And um, my sister caught me. Yeah. And she told my parents. And that's when, like, it got really rough. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, I'm done with, like, In seventh grade. And it was it because they were holding you to a standard to not do that? Yeah, like, my parents, they're like, very christian they're like yeah yeah and like looking at it now like i know that the reason they do those things is because like they wanted me to keep me safe yeah and but in my mind i was like they're just doing this because they want me want me to have fun um yeah like they don't like me all that and um so i was like i knew i wasn't supposed to do it but i still did it because okay i I mean and that's kind of an interesting perspective i mean because because i I would say that most people that are listening to what we're talking about have standards and they but i don't know of one man whether they're christian or not would want their daughter sexting pictures of themselves somebody else and so your parents i mean that's it's kind of a normal thing but why do you think that you interpreted that as they don't like me and they don't want me to have fun and i mean why would you interpret it that way I think it like has to do with me being adopted when I was like younger because like I've always thought like I wasn't wanted like no one liked me and all that mm. because like my birth mom didn't want me so why would anyone else want me and I saw all these other kids like being able to do all this stuff like not that stuff but like being able to go out like with their friends and like yeah, yeah. all that and I wasn't because like my parents didn't trust me to do that stuff yeah. and so I saw all my friends getting to do stuff that I wasn't getting to do. So I was like, I automatically was like, they don't like me. They don't want me to have fun. Yeah. And so getting to do stuff meant that you belonged somewhere. Or you were a part of something. Yeah. Okay. So when you think about your parents, what they could have done different, I mean, could they have done anything different to change that? Because I mean, I, I doubt that your dad would go, oh, it's okay. Here, here, send some more pictures of yourself yeah. out to people. What could they have done different? I feel like if they could have done one thing different, it was actually sitting down and talking and letting me feel like I can actually talk to them about stuff. Because, like, until, like, recently, like, I never felt like I could just sit down with them and talk to them Mm. about stuff that was, like, hard to talk about. Because I always thought, like, 
well, they were going to automatically get mad at me. They weren't going to listen to me. And so that's why, like, if I could go back to being in seventh grade, like, we had hard times. I would rather, I would want to be able to sit down with them and discuss what had happened and not feel like they're automatically going to, like, start getting mad at me. Yeah. Well, do you think that's because, because you've grown a little bit? I mean, because, I mean, you're looking at it now three years later as to how you'd like for it to be. But maybe it couldn't be because you weren't weren't able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you were you were in the midst of doing stuff, and you were responding like, "They don't like me. They can't stand me. They don't want me to have fun." Would you have really been able to talk about it then, or is it something that you've begun to realize now that you wish you would have? I think it's like something I'm realizing now because, like, I yeah. would have never if like. Let's be honest, like, I would never just go downstairs and be like, hey, like, let's talk about this, like, because yeah. I didn't ever feel like I needed to or could or, yeah, and all that. Like, I would just be like, this happened, we're going to forget about it and all yeah. that. But in reality, like, it just made it worse and worse because we never dealt with it. Yeah. Well, and they were probably trying to control the behavior, which yeah. is kind of normal for any parent. And you were, you were reacting and responding. So now... Now you see yourself as a 15-year-old, um, quite different than you were when you were 12, aren't you? <laughs> yes, sir. What do you see as the big difference between how you were and how you are now? I think the big difference with me now is that, like, I'm actually, like, with my parents, like, I'm actually feeling like I can talk to them. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm, our relationship has gotten so much better being here. Me and my mom's relationship has, like, grown because like I actually can talk to her about stuff that three years ago like I never felt like I could and like that makes me like really happy because like I've always wanted that relationship with my mom but I never knew and like just didn't know how to get there that's something that like I feel like I've grown in wow that's pretty cool you still deal with the adoption thing it comes up every now and then like when something happens I'm like well like it so were you hearing thought that like since my birth mom didn't want me why would other people want me but like here people at heart like like melissa my counselor she's like always there for me like she's makes me know that like i am loved like my parents make me feel like i'm loved like i know i'm loved it's just like it's hard to know that like your mom didn't want you like she chose drugs over you yeah well i think it's interesting i mean you're i mean you're sensitive to that because you've been adopted. Mm-hmm. Because if you would look at me and say, well, I don't feel like you would want me or I don't feel like you love me because my mom, I would look at you and go, you're crazy because I don't see you any different than anybody else. I mean, I go, you're a sweetheart of a young lady. You're, <laughs> a, you're a jewel. You're, but, but I think you think that, but I don't think that. Yeah. You see, and so, I mean, so that's where you have that control, because I think somewhere along the line, you know, I mean, drugs has an amazing way of messing up people's minds. And so somebody who gives you up, you know, they're probably messed up a little bit in their thinking. And and not that everybody that gives up a child is messed up. I'm not saying that. But I mean, if she was, then she's not thinking. Do you think she thinks about you? Sometimes I do. Like, I... In my mind, I'm like, well, maybe she's, like, sobered up and getting better. But then there's that, like, doubt in my mind that, like, who knows? Like, she could be 
in mm. jail or dead or like but like I feel like either way like she would still think of me knowing that like she has kids that like she yeah isn't there for how often do you think of her I think of her a lot but like I never really knew her because I was a baby when I got taken away but like I think of the ideal of her yeah and that I feel like it, that's kind of worse because like you don't know that much about her but yeah. the stuff that I've been told by my parents and so it's like I want to believe that like she's gotten a lot better in like the years that like I've grown up but then it's also like how do I know that she yeah. is and all that yeah. but I think I like her quite a bit yes, well I sir. can tell you this she thinks of you quite a bit too I, I, mm. you just know it every, every mom I've talked about that's given somebody up they think about them a lot. I mean, it's not that you become oblivious. It's just in that time, you know, she probably thought that was the best thing and, and you providing the opportunity for your family, you know, so it's kind of cool. Think you've grown quite a bit? Yes, sir. Yeah. Think you're different than you were a few years ago? Uh, yes, sir. Family's getting back together? Yes, sir. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being a part of the program. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, visit parentingtodaysteens.org. And to learn more about Heartlight, visit heartlightministries.org. If this podcast has been helpful to your family, please share it or give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can listen to Parenting Today's Teens wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.